Hello, and welcome to Heilman and Haver, the stage and screen podcast, coming to you from Casa de Quinn and 1111 Studios in beautiful Port Orchard, Washington. I'm Greg Heilman. And I'm Matt Haver. We're two local actors looking to hone our craft by exploring the best in local theater and on the big screen. Each week we bring you entertainment news and views, celebrate classic Hollywood, enjoy cocktails with a Tinseltown twist, interview talented local actors and directors, and chat with industry experts from L.A. to the U.K. Today is Friday, January 21st. Happy 2022, and welcome to episode 56. Joining us today is Caitlin McIntyre, Associate Artistic Producer and Director of Casting and New Play Development for the Seattle Rep. With the new year comes the excitement of a whole new lineup of plays and musicals hitting Seattle stages, and in just a few moments, we'll chat with Caitlin about her role in the Rep's upcoming season and the groundbreaking one-woman show playing now, Fanny, the Music and Life of Fanny Lou Hamer. Stay tuned. And it's not just in Seattle that new shows are hitting the stage. Right here in Kitsap, Central Stage Theater, or C-Stock for short, presents Roald Dahl's Matilda, the musical. Check out Greg's review of the show, available now on our Facebook page, and catch the show at the Kitsap Golf and Country Club in Bremerton through Sunday, January 30th. Tickets, including dinner theater tickets, are available at cstock.org. Right here in Port Orchard, Western Washington Center for the Arts is hitting the ground running with Love or Marriage, a collection of one-act plays by George Bernard Shaw and directed by our friend Christiane Jacobson. Best known for Pygmalion and Candida, Shaw used his theatrical works to discuss social attitudes and criticize the English stage. Get tickets and more info at wwca.us. And as many of our local listeners might remember, back in 2019, everyone's favorite horror comedy rock musical, Little Shop of Horrors, was slated to hit the stage at Western Washington Center for the Arts. Yada, 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 global pandemic, yada, yada, and auditions for Little Shop Take Two are at long last happening tomorrow, Saturday, January 22nd. No gardening or botany background required, just prepare 16 bars of a song, that's a verse and a chorus, and brush up on your cold readings, limber up for a dance step or two, and join the fun at noon at 521 Bay Street in Port Orchard. And don't forget to feed me. Seeing as this is a stage and screen podcast, most of our listeners are probably familiar with the casting process at the community theater level. And if you tuned into our show back in March 2021, episode 20, you got the inside scoop on casting for film with Seattle-based casting director Jody Rothfield. But how about professional theater? Back in early December, we met with Seattle Rep Artistic Director Braden Abraham and Artistic Producer Elizabeth Farwell-Morland for an episode of Get to Know a Theater, which we hope you'll check out on our YouTube channel. We chatted about the history of the Rep and recent renovation projects, plus the Rep's philosophy and method for choosing shows. Today, we get to dig a little deeper into how actors are cast and new plays are developed. Caitlin McIntyre is a director, producer, and casting director based out of Seattle and is an associate artistic producer and director of casting, and she also heads up new play development at Seattle Rep. She grew up outside Kansas City and was introduced to theater by accident driving her dedication to reaching new audiences with accessible and magical stories. When she's not in the rehearsal or audition room, you can find her out on the hiking trail, and she joins us from her home in West Seattle. Welcome to the show, Caitlin. Welcome. Thank you. So I'm so happy to be here. So Caitlin, nearly a year ago now, back in March, uh, on episode 20 of the show, we spoke with Jody Rothfield, uh, Seattle casting director, and heard about uh, her uh, experience casting for film. What are some things that are unique to casting for a repertory theater? Yeah, so um, Seattle Rep, which used to be called Seattle Repertory Theater, um, the history of a repertory theater was generally um, a repertory theater was um, had a company of actors who would do plays or shows in rep. One that still exists and is pretty well known is 
um, Oregon Shakespeare Festival has a company of theater or of actors and those actors perform in multiple plays there each summer. And um, that used to be the model for a lot of regional theaters. Most theaters that have repertory theater in their name, that was their model at one point. And most theaters that have that no longer operate with that model. Um, For us, we haven't had a company of actors in, I think, almost 30 years. So um, each season we are casting per each show. Um, It's actually pretty rare that we have an actor that does more than one show in the season. And if that happens, it's entirely coincidental. We also don't perform our shows, quote unquote, in rep. Um, We, that would mean like sort of like, the you know one night's hamlet the next night is much ado about nothing and then you go back to doing hamlet and then much ado about nothing and that would involve sort of switching out the sets resetting for the other show once again oregon shakespeare festival still operates this way but um what we do is we have two theaters one is a small 250 seat kind of jewel box theater the other is a large 800 seat um, proscenium theater And uh, we will have shows playing on each stage at the same time, but we're not switching out sets to, to toggle between shows anymore. That was a model that worked, you know, many years ago and for a variety of reasons, um, just didn't make sort of sense all around anymore. So essentially when I'm casting, I, I am thinking about the season holistically, you know, we do nine show seasons. So I'm thinking about doing you know all the shows uh in the season but i take them show at a time so i'll take i'll I'll really concentrate on this show who's directing this show you know what are the specific needs of the show um which is a blessing because i i know it's very challenging to kind of cast actors based off of uh what they can bring to multiple shows in the season now how do you do your research for casting do you work with local agencies do you have a method of finding local talent, certain things you look for that a certain something that someone has when they're on the younger side that you know is going to be something special? So, you know, it's interesting that you spoke with Jody, who does um, uh, TV and film and print in Seattle, because um, the agencies certainly exist in Seattle for for those mediums, but there's not really agencies locally for theater. Um, my correspondence is directly with actors um, in terms of uh, the representation. They represent themselves. Um, that's not true in other markets. So when I am coordinating with actors in New York City um, uh, or actors in Chicago or LA, I'm typically going through agents in those markets. But our local actors, um, it's just a direct communication. And I go and see as many shows as I possibly can in the before times, um, uh, which I've heard referred to as BC, like before COVID, I would usually see like at least two or three shows a week. Um, and I would take notes on who I saw in those shows, actors that were new to me or actors that were doing something very different there. And I, um, you know, I have some, some databases that are set up at the rep that I keep those notes in. And then we do general auditions, large scale general auditions where anyone's allowed to come in an audition. Um, I go to showcases from the local schools, whether it be the, you know, the MFA program at the University of Washington or Seattle U undergrad program. I'll, I'll try and see as many as I can um, to get to know younger folks that way. And then the other uh, large scale 
thing we would participate in was the unified auditions that were held at Theater Puget Sound, um, which was like a four day, you know, we would see like 500 actors within the course of four days. Um, and we always tried to attend those as well, just to see, you know, who maybe wasn't, had just moved here or, um, you know, we weren't finding through other avenues. You mentioned uh, in other markets that they have agencies and there are none in Seattle. It's kind of surprising to me, given the amount of theaters and amount of venues in the Seattle area, the amount of people participating that there's not. Do you think there's a reason that there's not? And is it something I, I would imagine if there were, it, it, it might help your process? Well, I mean, it depends on what you are using an agent for as an actor, from an actor's point of view, and like why you would need an agent. A lot of times um, actors have agents so that they have a kind of like validation point. You know, in New York, it's really hard to get seen for an audition if you don't have an agent. And if you don't have, you know, if your agent isn't with, you know, a certain agency too. Um, so, so there it's sort of a practicality just because the market is so flooded that you really need to have that kind of like stamp of approval uh, for lack of a better term to say like, this is somebody who is talented worth bringing in. Um, and in Seattle, while there is a, a large, you know, amount of theater happening here, the number of, of people that you know, are sort of coordinating the, the that casting is, is really not that much. It's me and a handful of other people in town. Um, and we don't require the stamp of approval. Our stamp of approval is like, you were great in that show. And, um, you know, you have, you know, done your due diligence, show up prepared for auditions, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it just, it depends on what you're, you know, some people have agents to um, uh, specifically for, uh, negotiating their terms in a contract. Um, that's something that they really rely on an agent for. That's certainly an important thing. And, um, you know, some people actually in Seattle, some actors here will have agents that are booking them uh, work throughout the country. So if I'm reaching out to that actor, I'll reach out to them directly. But their agent is the one that's like submitting them for work in New York or in D.C., or in Chicago, um, it was kind of keeping an eye on other places and they keep an eye on, on Seattle. Um, and those are actors, you know, who are happy and comfortable and willing to travel and be out of town for large portions of the year. Well, it's interesting. Uh, a lot of actors may think that you absolutely must have an agent to get work. It sounds like if they're interested in stage work, that's not necessarily the case. In Seattle, no, absolutely not. And I mean, and it's, it's very rare. In, in Seattle that I reach out directly to a, a local actor and they they sort of send me to their agent. That's It's only happened a handful of times. So speaking of travel, I guess we're talking BC. Uh, we're, we're all looking forward to PC, post-COVID. I guess it's DC <laughs> now during. But uh, prior, did you do a lot of traveling around the States, taking in shows? And, and, how, and if so, how did that uh, just inform um, your work coming back for new play development and, and eyeballing shows for the future for the rep. Yeah, I did do a lot of travel and I did a couple different kinds of travel. So, um, so at the rep, we cast roughly, I mean, this really depends on the season, but we cast about half of our actors locally. 
um, and about half of our actors um, from what we just say out of town. And when we go quote unquote out of town, we um, typically will use a New York based casting director. Now that New York casting director is still pulling talent from all over the country. They're asking, you know, actors in LA to submit, actors in Chicago to submit, but they're just based out of New York. So in, in the BC times, we would, uh, I would often go out of, go to New York, take trips to New York for auditions. And, you know, when I was there, I would try and see as many shows as I could and um, meet up with, with as many artists or, you know, artists that are based there that I, you know, didn't get to sort of see in person otherwise. So those were, those were pretty frequent trips. I would go to New York for auditions at least probably three times a year. And then I would also take trips for um, specific like new play festivals, which are not always in, based in New York. Oftentimes they are in much smaller cities. So I uh, went to Louisville, Kentucky um, for the Humana Festival a few years ago. Um, right before the pandemic hit, I was in Denver um, for the New Play Summit at Denver Center. And, you know, that was a really great way to sort of um, see new play readings, get to meet a bunch of playwrights at once, um, and then also just get to meet a lot of other um, new play professionals, people who are dramaturgs or on staff at theaters or agents, play, you know, playwright agents, you know, so it was a kind of hybrid community building, networking, and also, you know, seeing new work that might be of interest to the rep in the future type of trips. Two to three shows a week, traveling to New York and around the country, seeing shows. Once the uh, COVID thing blows over, you let Greg and I know if you need interns, okay? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I know it's it's uh it's pretty lovely, and and in times when the sort of I'm I'm st I've still been working from home. I'm I'm still working from home now. Um, and in times when it starts to wear on me, I just remember like you know your job is different <laughs> when it's when it's full, uh, full on. Well, as the theater community deals with the pandemic and, and COVID, there's been a new focus and, and one that's been a long time coming on, on understudies and, and, mm. and swings and things like that. And Hugh Jackman, you know, famously now, made uh, news on Christmas Day when he you know, called out the, the understudy that, that filled in for Sutton Foster and Music Man and, uh, and, and made a nice statement. A lot of other people have followed suit uh, with that. Given this new focus um, and, and just understudies in general how does this the the pandemic especially because you know you've got quarantines and you've got people that might miss a couple of weeks because of exposure things like that how does that affect your job in trying to cast for understudies or just in general yeah um so previous to the pandemic the the rep would a seattle rep would understudy musicals and one person shows. We would also understudy children. Um, so anyone that was under 18 um, or, or we would double cast children so they would have alternating performances. And it was something that we had sort of had on the list of things that we wanted to, to revisit and to try and amp up was our understudy coverage. Um, but the pandemic kind of uh, forced our hand in many ways there, but it was something that really needed to happen regardless because actors should be able to call in sick 
Um, I think theater in general is an industry where you, you know, a stage, a stage manager would show up and call the show from their deathbed uh, in order to to keep the show going. Um, and I think a, there's a lot of positions like that in theater. And I think it's really important that people are prioritizing their health period, not just when it's a contagious pandemic. And so there was a real issue with actors feeling like they could never call out to rehearsal or performances. So we have now decided to understudy all of our shows. Um, so every um, actor on stage will have an understudy covering them um, so that, you know, God forbid something happens that they don't feel like they are, you know, putting a screeching halt on the show moving forward, um, that there is coverage, um, you know, and that's, if there is um, a COVID outbreak within a company and a, a large number of people in the company uh, test positive, that is not to say like, we'll do a show with all understudies on or something, you know, like there's a point where it's like, you still have to cancel the show. Um, but this at least gives us more breathing room. And I think in the future, this is not something that's just going to be a policy during COVID, we're going to continue to do this just for that reason, exactly that if an actor trips and sprains their ankle, that they don't have to, you know, go do a show that night with their ankle the size of a softball, because there's somebody there that can, that can, that is ready to go on. Does the typical understudy, can, can they, do they usually learn more than one role? So you could have an understudy that bounces around from, you know, two or three potential, you know, fill-in spots? Sometimes. So it just depends on when it's appropriate. So for like large musicals, we'll often have you know, what's called a swing, which is someone that can swing into multiple roles offstage. Um, so we, we certainly have that. And then, you know, on our, our straight plays, it just kind of depends on what the needs of the play are. There might be um, roles where... <laughs> It would be very difficult for the same human being to cover two roles, whether it's because like one is 18 years old and one is 65 years old or, you know, whatever the factor is. Um, and in those cases, we always strive to have the understudy be appropriate um, for, for the role. So um, there are a couple of cases in our upcoming season of, of um, our straight plays, you know, uh, one understudy covering two, you know, smaller parts in the play. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, it, it really depends on the scale of the project. And I think people are more understanding, especially now. I think there, I, I saw, uh, it was Lion King. I think that you had one of the understudies for the children. Uh, I think it was young, I might get this wrong, but young Nala came in and played young Simba, but actually came out dressed in uh, just a, an outfit and a script. And, and people were, you know, fine with that because it's just, strange times and and uh, knowing that yes the show must go on but we all want to be healthy about it yeah and i think like you know we have to sort of judge what the sort of threshold is for maintaining the integrity of the show if you are you know forcing the show to go on and it is not it doesn't meet the level of excellence <laughs> that we uh strive to meet you have to kind of make a judgment call on whether you should move forward, you know, and that's not because the, the understudies are in any way subpar. Understudies are, let me just go on record and say understudies are the most talented, uh, hardest working people in the industry. So it wouldn't be due to that. But, you know, if it's like 
um, we actually, you know, their understudy is sick or their understudy is covering a different role. And so we're sending somebody on with a script in hand. Um, you know, it's a point where you have to kind of judge is like, is it worth it to continue with this performance if it's compromised in, in that kind of way? Or, uh, and sometimes the answer is yes, sometimes it is worth it. It just, it's a, it's going to be a tricky call every time. Well, Fanny is opening soon, the 19th of January. We're excited to see that. And uh, we're also excited uh, at the possibility of interviewing uh, Shanice Omar, understudy for Ife Butler, who plays Fanny, a one-woman show, obviously. And so we hope you don't have to deal with any of that stuff. Uh, yes, I'm sure Shanice <laughs> is incredibly talented, but I guess you kind of hope that the understudy isn't isn't needed. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but a, ta- a talented lady, we understand. And we're curious, when casting for a, especially for a biographical show like this, you've got um, Bruce coming up at the end of the season, uh, you know, young Steven Spielberg, things like that. What's more important to a casting director, that the actor resembles the character physically or that they're capable of bringing the character's personality, mannerisms, behavior to life? For me, it's always the latter. I'm much more interested in somebody understanding the essence of a person, a real life person, because in the end, we're telling a, you know, we're telling a story uh, and uh, we need somebody that understands the character, um, which sometimes the character and the real life person, while it's based off of that person, they can have differences. You, you are you are telling a story that has a beginning, middle, and an end, and you kind of need to understand the scope of that and um, to formulate a character that works within that. So a sort of carbon copy or an impersonation of a real life person doesn't always really work in that. So for me, I always am looking for the latter, somebody that understands the role of that real life person in the frame of this, this story. And, but, you know, it really can depend on the, the director's vision for it too. So if there is a director that feels like, you know, it, it is really vital that we find somebody who um, resembles that real life person for the story to work, then, you know, that can be the exception. And the, the examples that you mentioned in our upcoming season, it ha- Fanny was a really interesting one because uh, Cheryl West, who is the writer of Fanny, wrote it specifically for Ife Butler, who is starring in Fanny. And Ife and her had worked together many times. And, you know, Ife is, is perfect for the role, but it has really been crafted towards her. And while she, I would say, bears some resem- resemblance to uh, Fanny Lou Hamer, it is, is much more about the energy and the essence that she brings to the character. And I would say the same for Shawnee's as well, the understudy. It carries so much of the essence and, you know, a, a little bit of re- resemblance. And also it's like, it's a depiction of Fannie Lou Hamer. It sort of explores her life throughout her entire life. And of course she looked different at different points in her life. So that's another place that you're sort of trying to kind of adapt to that. And Bruce is similar. Bruce, um, uh, which is about the making of the film Jaws, has a lot of well-known living legends, film legends in it. You know, there's Steven Spielberg and Richard Dreyfuss, Roy Scheider. Um, So it has these sort of iconic figures. And I think actually, you know, one of the things that Donna Fiore, the the director um, of Bruce has talked about is that um, we, 
we're not a documentary. We're not creating a documentary. This is a, a musical where right. Steven Spielberg regularly breaks out into song. <laughs> it's not a documentary. Unlike reality. <laughs> well, I, I would imagine. I don't know him personally, uh, but uh, maybe on West Side Story. He I was really going to say, maybe, in. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, we are creating a... Uh, uh, a, an imaginative world. And so as long as, um, and, and if we're, we're trying to create a sort of like impersonation of those people, it, it can really limit, can kind of put you in a corner in terms of what the possibilities are in that world. Well, you wear many hats at, at the rep that we talked about in your bio and we've talked about through throughout this interview. How did you prepare for the role that you have? What in your experience and and outside work and and focuses is, is prepared you for the the position that you're in now man it, it's interesting because yeah i do i have an, a position that doesn't exist in a lot of theaters and it sort of straddles a, a few different departments in a way that makes a lot of sense to me actually like i see all of the overlap between my jobs but you don't often see this um, position on in regional theaters and my training was in directing um, so I came to theater professional theater thinking sort of big picture uh, like a director would in terms of all of the components that come together to make a play work and my entry point to the rep um, I was actually a, um, a former intern at the rep I started as an intern there and I was a casting intern. And this was, you know, you can't, there, you can't study casting in your undergraduate, like there's no casting major. <laughs> um, so I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. I didn't know anything about it really. But I um, quickly found that I really loved it because it was a lot just about relationships, maintaining relationships and getting to know people and thinking imaginatively about possibilities and plays. And all of that was really, really appealed to me. So I started at the rep as a casting director, but I was also, you know, freelance directing on the side. And most of my focus as a freelance director was on new plays. Um, I was largely doing new plays, you know, world premieres. And so I had this kind of second life that was all around new work and playwrights. And I was also casting all of our new play development at the rep. Um, so I was still like interacting with our new play development um, as a casting director. So when, you know, some, some um, things shifted at the rep and we needed, really needed somebody to head up the kind of producing of our new play development, I was like, you know, if I had a little bit of support in the casting, so it wasn't, you know, entirely me, then I could really step into both these roles and they actually align very beautifully in a lot of ways um, in terms of, um, you know, I think one of the first steps um, after a writer has written a first draft is to bring actors into the room and sort of curate who are the minds that you want here and who are the people who are going to help you take this play to the next level. Playwrights are really a type of writer that can't create something in isolation. They need other bodies to really fully form their work um, and to, to make it you know, something that exists outside of their own heads. So it was, I mean, it was sort of like an organic process that kind of, uh, and a lot of learning along the way, <laughs> um, <laughs> trial by fire in many instances. Um, so I don't know necessarily how to talk about the preparation, but I, I do think that one thing that has really served me is just 
trying to read a lot of plays and having a good sort of uh, sense of, you know, both um, classic American writers, um, classic writers in general, classic works and contemporary writers, um, who those writers are. And, you know, it's, it's always wonderful when there's a curveball thrown my way and I'm like, oh yeah, actually I read a play of theirs, you know, like five years ago, I'm remembering it now, you know? So that's one thing I, I do to really just try and stay grounded in the work. And, you know, even if I read a play and I'm like, you know, I don't, I'm not sure I like that play. <laughs> it's still not a loss. Um, it'll, it'll, it's still, it, it's still, you, you'd be amazed at how it will come back around at some point. Well, we're lucky enough to have a lot of stage folks in our audience. Is there an official route that an actor would take to contact you if they're interested in auditioning for something at the rep or, you know, dipping their toe in, in professional theater in Seattle? Yeah. Um, so there's sort of two routes depending on whether you're uh, an equity actor in Seattle, which is the Actors Union, uh, Actors Equity Association. Um, so if you're a union actor, we um, are a Lord Theater. And so for every show that we hold auditions, invited auditions for, we will hold what's called an EPA, an equity principal audition, um, which, you know, will send out to your inbox every time we post. And those are held um, usually at least once or twice a year, depending on our sort of flow. Um, and that's where anybody who's an, uh, a union member can audition for us. Um, currently, those are being held virtually. So it's a self-tape that you send in, um, which has pros and cons, <laughs> um, depending on, on uh, who you are. In BC times, we would hold those in person and you could come in and have an appointment and come be seen in person. Um, now, those aren't, are those, those aren't for a specific show, right? Those are just general auditions. And then if you find that there's a match for one of the five or shows that season, then you'll align that actor with that show. Is that how that works? Well, this is a little bit in the weeds, but... If we are sometimes, so we will audition a show before we announce our season. And in that instance, we don't want to send out like a big casting announcement with our whole season because we don't want to leak our season out before we formally announce it. Sure. Um, and sometimes we don't have the whole season yet <laughs> um, when we're casting the, sh the show. So um, we're just not ready. So in that case, I'll hold um, an EPA for a specific show if I'm not ready to announce the season yet. So that's why I say it usually happens. And that's pretty frequent actually now because we've almost moved to being like a year round theater company. So it's frequent that I'm casting like the first show in our next season before we've announced it. Okay, sorry, I interrupted your uh, your, your response on the non-equity. Oh yeah, um, and so um, if you're non-equity actor, um, we also hold non-union generals. Those obviously won't be announced through the, the union, but we usually hold them right at the same time that we do our large union generals. Th this is something that is shifting in the pandemic, um, but I would, I would highly suggest one thing that we're doing now is always posting it on our social media and on our website. So I would highly suggest giving our um, the Seattle Rep social media a follow because you can definitely find it out there. Um, if you're in Seattle, um, becoming a member of Theater Puget Sound in the past has been a way to find out about auditions. Um, many auditions were posting there. That's one thing that might be shifting, um, but it's still 
too early to tell, but I would definitely follow us. And the other thing too, I, I always recommend that people let us know when they're in shows. And it can be even a kind of small thing. If you feel like you're doing good work, uh, reach out to us and say, hey, I would love to, you know, I, I would love for you to come see me in the show. We always try and accommodate that. Like I said, I go and see two or three shows a week um, as my, you know, in, in the sort of typical times, because I want to see people um, sometimes the, the best stuff you see is like the tiny thing. And there was like only, you know, eight people in the audience, but some really good work happening. So yeah, that's, that's always my recommendation is to um, definitely go to those big general auditions. I know they can seem sort of like a waste of time, but I promise you they're not. There's so many examples I can give of people who, you know, I didn't know came into a general and, and blew me away and brought them in for the show and then they booked the show. So definitely recommend that. And then definitely recommend reaching out and letting us know. I, I mean, the thing I always say is like, you're running a business and the business is you um, as an actor. So like marketing is huge, letting people, reminding people, um, if you didn't get called in for a show, it doesn't mean that uh, that person didn't like you. Like, did you remind them that you exist? Like, that's an important thing to do. I try and do as much as I can to track who's in town and track everybody. Um, but there are definitely people that fall through uh, the gaps there. And I, I am always grateful when somebody reminds me that they exist. <laughs> Send a thank you card after the audition. <laughs> yeah, yes. Always, always a lovely gesture. Yeah, yeah. Well, Caitlin, this has been great. Um, we really enjoyed our, our visit over to the rep last December, meeting with uh, Braden and, and Elizabeth, and uh, we're looking forward to taking in some of the shows this year. Greg's going to be doing some reviews for our Facebook page, and uh, this has been a great education on uh, a really cool position you hold. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. This has been so fun. Well, thank you to our guest, Seattle rep, associate artistic producer and director of casting and new play development, Caitlin McIntyre. For more information, tickets, and to keep up with all things Seattle Rep, visit their website, seattlerep.org, or search them up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. All linked in the show notes. Get your tickets now for Fanny, playing through February 13th, and visit our Facebook page for Greg's review of this powerful and thought-provoking show. If you enjoy this show, please make sure to follow us and share the podcast with a friend or two. Tell them to find us at heilmanandhaver.com and tune in on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Audible, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And you can keep up with all of our latest on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Check out special segments like Get to Know a Theater and In the Mix on YouTube. Happy New Year, and as always, thank you for supporting local theater and for joining us on Heilman and Haver. 